Today's reading is taken from one Peter chapter two, verses four to twelve. One Peter chapter two, verses four to twelve. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for in Scripture it says, "See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame." Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, and to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble. And the rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy, dear friends. I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Very much. If you could have your Bibles opened, open to First Peter chapter two as we go through it. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your living word. We thank you that by it we grow in our salvation. Help us to taste that you are good through these words, and help us to crave it, crave your word more and more. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I was recently told that I and other Christians、uh, were on the wrong side of history. People challenge us in many, many things, don't they? People challenge us when whenever we use the word "submit" in relationship, in relationship to women. When、uh, Paul says that wives should submit to their husbands, well, they don't hear the other side. That the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and lay down their lives for them. That the mark of leadership is actually service. Not domination. They challenge us、um, as old-fashioned when we insist that sex is reserved for marriage only. People decry the Bible's view on homosexuality. Why is it wrong? They say when it doesn't hurt anyone. They say that the history will prove that we're all bigots. Well, I wonder what kind of persecutions you face because of your faith. Because you live distinct and different lives from others, of course, the Christians in Asia Minor two thousand years ago, whom Peter, to whom Peter was writing, faced similar persecutions and much more. Remember how the letter started? He started by writing to God's elect strangers in this world, because we are distinct. We are supposed to be different from the rest of the world. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, have, uh, have to suffer all kinds of grief in all kinds of trials in chapter 1, verse 6. You're suffering now, and he reminded us that the glory will come, that inheritance that we received is stored in heaven. Last week, Peter reminded us that we're not actually alone in going through it, that we're all reborn, and we're born into the family of Christ, that we are in this together as an eternal family. And he continues to encourage us today to live distinct and different lives by telling us that Jesus himself suffered, that he too was rejected, that he died. Take a look in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human, but chosen by God and precious to him. And in verses 7 and 8, now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. That verse is taken from Psalm 118, which Jesus himself once quoted as he entered Jerusalem, as he faced his death. In Mark 12, Jesus tells the parable of the tenants, the owner of the vineyard sending the servants to collect the, the, the harvest, but the workers seized those servants and even killed him. And then later on, the owner sends his son, hoping that they would treat the son better. But then the tenants seized him and killed him too. And then there in Mark chapter 12, Jesus quotes from this psalm, Psalm 118, verses 22 to 23, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in his eyes. Jesus tells this story a few days before, saying that he will be rejected and that he will be killed. But then how, that's not how the story will end the, the story, there is a great reversal, right? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And God has done this. The precious stone, because it doesn't matter ultimately what people think. It doesn't matter ultimately what people do. Because it really matters. only thing that matters is what God thinks. God has chosen Christ and God is, uh, Christ is precious to him. Verse 4, he had decided that those who trust him will never be put to shame in verse 5. The stone is now precious cornerstone and the stone that now causes people to stumble on a rock that makes them fall. What it's saying is that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the judge now, that he's the one who will decide who falls and who lives. The message that must be, that's the message I think that must have been ingrained in Peter's mind. Because remember, uh, Mark, Mark, Gospel of Mark goes back to Apostle Peter. It goes back to the oral tradition of Peter. And Peter retells the par- parable of the tenant and this um, in, the, in his gospel as well as here. And not only that, remember, when Peter uh, speaks, when he preaches two sermons uh, that's recorded in Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, he tells the same story. He says, there, you killed him, you rejected him, but God raised him up to be your Lord. And that you need to trust him. That's the basic message in Acts chapter 2 as well as in chapter 10, the two sermons that he preaches. He was rejected, but now he's become the cornerstone and the fact that he quotes from Isaiah chapter 28, uh, verse 16, in, in verse 6, um, in Second Peter, 
uh, I mean, First Peter chapter two and six, two six adds uh, to the meaning of what he wants to say. He's not just a cornerstone, but he's the only stone that can withstand the judgment. When Isaiah quotes, uh, Isaiah wrote to the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah thought that actually they could hold on to other things, that they made a pact even with death and the grave, nothing can sweep away. And this is what God says. God says, I, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who trusts will never be dismayed. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 18, Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with grave will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. In fact, all those who cling to any other thing will be swept away. They'll be beaten and will taste the bitter death. Only the tested stone will remain. Friends, we are foreigners and aliens here. We will continue to be told that we are on the wrong side of history. We will continue to be looked at as, with a skeptical eye and treated as weird. We might even be called stupid because we believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Because we hold values and we live by values that the world does not understand. But you see, history is not determined by what people think. History is not determined even by the time. History is determined ultimately. It will finally be interpreted by our Lord. The precious cornerstone that was rejected but is now made a cornerstone. He will come back and what he thinks will determine how the history will ultimately be interpreted. And that's why Peter is writing, and that's why Peter is reminding us again that Jesus, too, was rejected. That Jesus' value, too, was at odds with the world. But if we cling to him, that actually we can withstand everything. So we cling to him. He is our cornerstone. But what's he the cornerstone of? What's he, what is God building around Christ? Well, it's us, if we look In verse 5, he's building us as living stones, he says, around Christ. Take a look in verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Uh, Spiritual house? What's the spiritual house? Well, it's the temple. We're being built into the temple of God. The metaphor gets a little bit mixed up here but uh, because he throws in all sorts of different things, temple and the priests and the sacrifices. But, I mean, it's made clear because in this spiritual house, the priests are there, the offerings are there, right? The rest of verse 5 says, to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're being built into the temple of God where priests priests are and they offer sacrifices. And think about the enormity of what Peter is saying in this passage. We are the temple. We are the temple of God. And remember what the temple was. Temple was the focus of Israel's worship. Not just actually Israel, but the entire world. Because Remember, um, Temp- the temple was the only hospital for, the, the, it was the only hospital for the entire world. 
When people wanted to be healed, they needed to go to that temple. When people wanted to offer their prayers, they needed to go to the temple. And people in the Old Testament prayed towards the temple because that was the place where God was supposed to be. When people wanted their sins forgiven and to offer sacrifice, they went to the temple. What Peter is saying, actually, is that the physical temple is no longer necessary. Not only that. What Peter is saying is that we are the temple of God. That, uh, that he's implying that we are the place where people, whole world, can meet God. We are the people uh, uh, who will represent uh, p- people to, uh, to God. We are the uh, uh, people through whom the world will be healed. That's what he's saying. When he's saying that you are now the living stones. You are the temple of God. Isn't that what that means? Verse 5. You are the living stones offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're the living, breathing house of God. Yes, you know, one of the things that makes Christianity distinct uh, when in, in uh, 2,000 years ago was that actually they didn't build temples anymore. They didn't say these are priests anymore. They're no longer priests, right? This is a, um, this is a difference. Of, there were no priests anymore. They didn't sacrifice, blood sacrifice anymore, right? It was new. It was, disti- it was very, it was distinct. And the church was built. Uh, we, built uh, we built structures, the churches, uh, but the churches were not holy because there were special places where people can meet God. The churches are holy because people of God meet together. And that could be wherever. Wherever people of God meet, right? That is the temple. That is the place, the, the holy place where people in the world can see God and meet God and offer sacrifices to him. And that's what he's getting at again when he says uh, famously in verse 9, but you are the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are that nation. You are. He's, uh, he's throwing in all sorts of metaphors. It's a mixed metaphor uh, thing, but I hope the message is clear. He's borrowing from Exodus 19, verse 6, where Moses says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt, right? He delivers people, uh, Israelites out of Egypt, and um, he says, now you are a holy nation, a nation that's set apart to be a kingdom of priests. And what do priests do? They represent God to the world and world to God. He's saying that the nation of Israel was uh, a, a priestly nation, but now... We are the priests. We are the nation. We are the temple. And the amazing thing in this is that the Gentiles, Gentiles are also included. Yeah, in verse 10, he goes on to say, you didn't receive mercy before. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once the Gentiles were excluded from the temple at the penalty of death, at the threat of death. But now we make up the living stones of that temple. Once we weren't allowed to go to the priest to offer sacrifices. But now we are the royal priests. Once we did not know who God was. 
But now we're the chosen people of God, a holy nation through whom the rest of the world will come to know God. And this, of course, happens through Christ. Because he was, he was rejected. Because he was killed to become our cornerstone upon which we can be built as spiritual house. What mercy and grace and what privilege it is to be a Christian, to be the church. But then, once again, the mixed metaphor keeps on going. So we are the temple, we're the priests, we're the holy nation, but we're also the sacrifices. We offer sacrifice, right? In verse 5, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this sacrifice, of course, is not blood sacrifice, that makes us acceptable to God because Jesus has done that already, then what are these spiritual sacrifices? I think uh, Paul explains it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just as we're living stones in the living temple of God, we offer our lives as living sacrifices to God. And this isn't, obviously, offering part of our life. This is our entire selves, and that's what it means to be built on Christ, to offer our entire lives to him. A cornerstone is the foundational stone, isn't it? It goes in first, and then it determines the angle and the shape of the rest of the building. If it's angled badly, the rest of the uh, building will be, uh, will be built badly. The cornerstone determines the shape of the building in the same way. We, if we are the temple of God, we're the living stone built, built upon the cornerstone. If we are the sacrifices, it means that our lives are being built, our entire lives are be, being built in the shape of Christ. And this is very different from the clubs that people belong to, right? If you belong to a chess club, what you have in common with other people who belong to the club is chess. I mean, you might have a couple more things in common with other people, but that's the main thing that you have in common with other people. If you belong to an archery club, right, that's what you have in common with uh, other archer, uh, archers. But Christ, Christianity, is not a club. And Christ demands all of our life. And Christ determines every part, then, of our lives. Every part. How you do your job. How you spend time. What kind of person you marry. How you treat your parents, your wife, and husband, and children. What you do with money. What you do with your energy. What you, every part of your life is an extension of Christ. It's something that's built upon Christ. As li- if we're living stones, it's, if we're living sacrifices, we live every part of our lives for Christ. Well, I hope, you know, it's a mixed metaphor here. It's slightly confusing, but I hope the main message is clear. We are the temple, we're the priests, we're the sacrifices. And the point is that every aspect of our life, all of our life, should show people who Christ is. Every aspect of our lives should show people that we are Christ's. And is that your life? 
And we've spilled into the, uh, this territory already, but let's take a closer look at what Jesus did, uh, why Jesus died, and why then we are built upon that cornerstone. Verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yes, it's a great privilege. Yes, we are the showcase. Um, But at the heart of our identity, what Peter is saying is mission. Who we are, at the core of our our identity, is mission. We're not chosen and built simply for ourselves, but for others to declare his praise. Just as Israel was delivered out of Egypt so that they may show to the rest of the world who God was, who God is, we are saved from darkness and delivered into his wonderful light so that we may declare his praise to the, to the world. We are to declare the mercy that we received the light that we've seen. And this makes complete sense then uh, that what Peter says of, uh, uh, next in verse 11. He goes on to say, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful nature which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans so that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, the world needs needs us to live good lives so that they might see God, that they might see Christ and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is why Peter tells us to live such good lives. It's not because our salvation depends on it. Christ has paid for our salvation. It's because their salvation depends on it. And I know that some people are distracted by the predestination language here. People disobey in verse 8 because they were destined and we are chosen, verse 9. But don't be distracted. The Bible holds to these truths in paradoxical tension and the Bible says both are true. God is sovereign and we are. God is sovereign and God has chosen us. But you are also free and you get to choose God. They're both there and that's the point god really did choose you to be part of this community part of his body part of his temple part of god's people chosen people and people can really choose so live your lives live such good lives so that people can come and see you and and choose god and to choose to glorify god they're both there and you know this don't you that it really matters how we live that people do have a choice. How many times have you heard people say, I don't go to church because of Christians? The church is full of hypocrites. How many times have you heard criticism about how the church has done more damage to the gospel than anything else? And there is truth in that criticism, isn't there? If we are the living temple of Christ, if we are the living sacrifices that should spread aroma of Christ to the world. When we fail, we will bring great shame, not just to ourselves, but to Christ. People will not know who God is if we fail to be living sacrifices. And this is why Peter takes sin so seriously. Listen again, 
He says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage, wage war against your souls. What goes on in each of us is warfare. That's the language that he uses. And you know that constantly. Envy or genuine happiness. Anger or forgiveness. Pride or humility. Lust or purity. Greed or generosity. And that bear wages on in us daily. And we must fight them. Once again, not because our salvation depends on it, but because other people's do. We must fight them so that our family, so that our friends and colleagues would come to know God, could come to see God through us and glorify God on the day that he visits us. If they see us living such good lives, they might turn to God. And if we don't, they might think that there is no God. It doesn't matter. This language of being born again is no difference. It's meaningless that our faith in Christ makes no difference. But I know how hard this, all, of it, all of this is. It's hard to live a distinct life in this world. Once again, Christ was persecuted, and Peter reminds us of that. Building every part of our lives upon Christ means living a, a different life, and that makes our lives more difficult to live in this world at odds with this world. And we might want to declare his praise in words and in action, but people might actually persecute us for it. So how do we continue to do this? I just want you to go back to the beginning of our text in verse 4. As we end, as you come to him, the living stone. That little line, that little phrase is our lifeline. As you come. Come to him, our living stone. You know, we can't just tell ourselves to live better. We don't build ourselves, we don't become the living stone on our own. As we come to Christ, as we remind ourselves of what he has done, as we remind ourselves of our identity in him, as we remind ourselves of the mercy that we've received, how we were delivered from darkness into light, we will be built up as living stones that will declare his praise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for choosing us. We thank you that we are that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to you, a people who may declare the praise of, of, of God, of what you have done for us. Lord, remind us to come to you each day. Remind us of what you have done each day, that we might trust you and build our lives upon you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.